Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, Rendo, Steve here. And Lars. And welcome back to Going In Raw, the only pro wrestling podcast you need to be listening to right here, YouTube.com forward slash Stephen Larson. And of course, available in the audio realm, we tape our recaps live at twitch.tv forward slash Stephen Larson. This is our continuing series of our Dark Side of the Ring reviews, and we're doing something a little bit different this week. Uh, we're uh, taking uh, one episode or another episode, and we're just going to review them all in the same batch. Uh, we're taking the Chris Canyon uh, episode and the FMW episode. We're just going to put them in the same thing because we filmed the Chris Canyon one the other day, and it ran like 15 minutes. Uh, it, it sort of felt like one of there was it was one of those episodes where his story is a fascinating one, um, but uh, neither of us feel all that qualified to talk too in depth in terms of the mental health aspect of that episode. And that was such a heavy there was such a heavy emphasis on the tragedy of Chris Canyon because of that. Um, mm -hmm. And so we thought, you know, this is a podcast. We're supposed to be longer in length. And so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put a time code in here in case you wanted to fast forward to the FMW one, if that's something that interests you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to uh, kick us off with the Chris Canyon one. Uh, we'll start there. Um, and uh, I thought for me personally, the, the most interesting aspect of it beyond the, 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 the tragedy is just, it, it is what it is. The guy suffered from, uh, mental health issues. Um, I, I can't imagine it was so sad. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be a gay wrestler in the locker room of the 1990s. Um, and uh, it, it, evidently for him, it was a fairly harrowing thing. And unfortunately, by the end, he didn't get he, he the, the infrastructure seemingly wasn't in place for him to get the help that he needed to get. And uh, unfortunately, that led to him taking his own life. But uh, for me, the more the, the most interesting aspect of that was just how influential and innovative he really was as a wrestler. I had never recognized that uh, because when I, when I when I thought of Canyon, I always thought of the personality stuff of the comedy. I thought that he was ahead of his time in terms of his general the, the presentation of his personality, of his character. Um, I know you and I always. Uh, uh, found him to be a pretty entertaining guy once he lost oh, yeah. the Mortis gimmick. 
but what that aspect of him in terms of bringing on wrestlers like the Young Bucks and them talking about just how innovative they saw him to be in the ring was an interesting point for me. It was, and and not only was that point made by the Young Bucks, but uh, Evan and Jason, the executive producers, creators of Dark Side of the Ring, showed that. They showed us, yeah. you know, moves that we see fairly often today. Canyon doing back in the in the in the in the mid nineties. Yeah. You know, he does a buckshot lariat, which is Hangman Page's finisher now. Yeah. He did he they, they he did that as Mortis. You know, the flatliner moves seem like half of wrestling does now. That was his finisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. There's so many moves and transitions from moves that that he at the very least popularized. Mm-hmm. Um. And I remember back when I first got back into wrestling. You know, I I grew up in the rock and wrestling era. Um. Watched a lot of it then, kind of fell out of it. And then back in the mid-90s, of course, with the NWO coming around, I got back into it. And I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine at the time who really said, you know, hey, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of really good wrestlers. Chris Canyon might be the you know, like the, the the best worker of them all, or one of the one, one of the best workers of them all. Um, and I believe that was back when he was still doing the Mortis mm-hmm. yeah. uh, gimmick. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'll pay, I'll pay more attention. You know, uh, back especially when I was watching wrestling in the early '80s, mm-hmm. like I didn't know what work rate was. Yeah, right. Yeah. Based on the most of the wrestling I was watching, <laughs> work rate wasn't a priority. <laughs> you know, and that changed a bit in the '90s when I started watching Shawn Michaels and, yeah. and Bret Hart. Um, and then getting back into it, you know, you get brought back in by the NWO, the personalities, and then you watch WCW. You see wrestlers like Canyon. You watch the Cruiserweights. You're like, oh my gosh. I never knew wrestling could be like this, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. When you, when, when kind of your definition of wrestling was a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, yeah. Macho Le- Man and leathery, Ricky Steamboat. Leathery, lumbering wrestlers dropping leg drops and getting three counts. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, back when I used to watch growing up, there's, there was Macho Man, there was Steamboat. They were wrestlers who could work. But, you know, like Vince, his concept of pro wrestling was huge guys. What is, what's the term Bruce Pritchard likes to use? That's right. Action. Exactly. That's the wrestling that I grew up on. So watching WCW in the mid nineties, like, Oh my gosh, you know, this is incredible. Yeah. You know, they're out there doing all these crazy athletic feats or telling stories in the ring using those crazy athletic feats. Um, and I didn't really get back into WWF until Montreal Screwjob. I was just watching purely WCW because you got the NWO stuff. That's interesting. You got this great wrestling. You got all these great characters. You got Raven, you got, you got, and you got Canyon, mm-hmm. you know, he, his path, path intersected with raven shortly after the mortis thing his stuff he did with ddp was awesome yeah yeah awesome both uh uh in in wcw and wwf um the invasion mvp stuff mm-hmm. loads of fun yeah it's funny because you, you brought up macho man i didn't realize macho man was such a great in-ring guy until way later because it's interesting because we're talking about Mortis and Canyon and, and you bring up Macho Man. And it's fascinating to me that the personalities will often can overshadow whatever they do in the ring, good or bad. Because with Macho Man, of course, I knew him growing up. Everybody, if you were remotely tuned into pop culture in the 80s, you knew who the Macho Man was. Like you watch the Slim Jim commercials, you know, oh, he's pro wrestler. Um, I wasn't watching back then, and certainly if I was watching when I was, you know, uh, six, seven, eight years old, I wouldn't have understood what a work rate was. Um, 
when I started watching again was when the NWO was around and Macho Man was a much different wrestler at that point. He wasn't the guy he was 10 years earlier. And so it wasn't until I think I started doing this that like I might have caught wind of WrestleMania three. It's like, holy crap. Well, I didn't know he was that guy, but he was totally that guy. Bring like mm-hmm. Warrior to a good match. And um, his match against Hogan at, at, at WrestleMania five is really good until it turns to a Hogan match. Yeah. The, like, the last five minutes. And so the, similarly with Mortis, I just remember see, it's funny because when the, the episode really plays up how innovative they felt uh, from the, the the interviewee standpoint, the the Mortal Kombat gimmick was Glacier versus Mortis. You and I became friends when that was going on, and we just remember that being super cheesy. Like, what is this? They're ripping off Mortal Kombat? Is this even legal? This is screwy. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, like uh, Glacier stands out because he was basically unbeatable in WCW versus NWO World Tour. <laughs> right, exactly. You know? And so, like, I, I just remember of that not paying attention to the wrestling <coughs> because, I, contrary to what DDP says, I didn't think Mortis's mask gimmick was the coolest mask gimmick of all time. I didn't think that. I was like, oh, this Rey Mysterio guy is pretty rad. This uh, Jushin Thunder Liger guy is pretty cool because he did some stuff in WCW. Mm-hmm. Um, like pretty much everybody that had a mask on that wasn't Mortis, I thought was cooler than Mortis because I didn't, I didn't want to see my Mortal Kombat in WCW. I kind of didn't care about Mortal Kombat, and I certainly didn't want to see it in WCW when there was so much other cool stuff going on. Um, so that might have taken away, like I probably really half paid attention to those matches because, like, I don't care. And so why would I pay attention to the fact that this dude's dropping buckshot lariats and flatliners and and whatnot? Um, So it's interesting how the personalities can really, you know, either do a disservice to um, or completely blind somebody to what they can do in the ring. These days, a lot different because you and I analyze it and overanalyze it. So if somebody, you know, like Shane Thorne now has this Crocodile Dundee gimmick, it's kind of not going to matter once he gets in the ring because he is such a good wrestler That, you know, it'll be unfortunate because he'll probably have to play up those aspects in the ring. But fundamentally, he's just a really good wrestler. He is. Back then, I wouldn't have got. I never knew that Norman Smiley was such a good wrestler until way later, until I realized just how influential he was. All I knew is he was a goofy dude in WCW with a funny name. And, and, you know, he was uh, was just a goofy guy. Mm -hmm. So... You don't pay attention to that stuff. Well, I, well, I didn't pay attention to that stuff early on. It's interesting when they bring the Young Bucks on that they are the guys, and it's not shocking now given that they are some of the more innovative wrestlers you know, on the planet and have been for the past 10 years. But they, they were guys in their teens uh, and younger to look at Mortis and be like, hey, this guy can really go. Look at his cool moves. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that he could go look at his cool moves. It was look at this guy go. He's got cool moves and he's six four. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know he was doing stuff that that you know uh, wrestlers much smaller than him would usually do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it as well. Is not only was he innovative in terms of the moves and how he put them together, like at that time a dude his size, like that just it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. It just didn't happen. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know the story is 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 really really heartbreaking. Yeah. Um. And I, I like perhaps the most 
perhaps the most heartbreaking scene um, is is the Howard Stern stuff when mm-hmm. Cena's on there and uh, saying that the reason that WWE didn't want Chris Kanye back or let him go is that he just wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, like half the guys on the roster are doing his moves, mm-hmm. and then and then Canyon's on there, and then Ric Flair calls in. And apparently, you know, Canyon, uh, Ric Flair is one of Canyon's favorite wrestlers. Mm-hmm, yeah. Looked up to him. Yeah. And you have Ric Flair on there saying, yeah, he, w- he just couldn't cut it from an in-ring perspective. Yeah. He just wasn't good enough. Yeah. And you just see the heartbreak yeah. on, on Chris's face, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it sucked to watch. It sucked. It did. Yeah. No, it sucked. Yeah. It's, it's, it sucked. A guy is already down and you know, it's. The, the really the, the sad thing is, and it's funny because you know WWE sort of butts their head back into another dark side episode, where it's like, oh god, really? Like you guys? Because Flair now says, you know, in a statement saying, well, that was part of the job, calling in and uh, and 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 running down anybody who was hostile towards WWE. That was part of the job. And so John Cena did, and he looks like a complete asshole in this. And Ric Flair does it, and once again, he looks like a complete asshole. Um, and it's just it's it's an absolute shame that that Vince McMahon has to you know once again side with being petty and not just let people say what they're gonna say, and so to claim that he's no good is clearly idiotic. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of the thing that's most idiotic about it is that Canyon did so. There's a sequence where they talk about Canyon sort of shooting himself in the foot, you yes. know. After he was released from the WWE, he didn't really comport himself in a way that would lend uh, uh, them to bring him back. Um, that would give them any reason to bring him back. Like after, I think it was a SummerSlam uh, uh, event was off the air. He hopped the barricade and like got up on the turnbuckle and was making a big scene there. Uh, he was invited to some after party, I think mm-hmm. at the same event. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he said something to Vince McMahon that was like rude or something. And uh, and, you know, it's like obviously he had had a negative experience. Uh, Evidently, somebody had found out or he he theorized that somebody had found out that he was gay. And they did this uh, segment when he made his return from injury where he came out of like a box or something. And he was singing some George Michael's. uh, I'm sorry, Boy George song and Undertaker completely like beat the shit out of him and nailed him in the head with a chair and the Young Bucks were talking about having watched that and being like really confused and, and freaked out because it looked like a nasty beating. And it seemed like somebody was, you know, basically um, tearing him down because they had found out that he was a gay man. And so I guess he had some reason to act in a certain way because his experience was so horrifying towards the end there. But the fact that WWE decided to run him down for not being good as opposed to, well, you know, he's acted out in a couple ways and, and it makes us, you know, question whether or not he's professional enough to, to, to be in the company. I mean, you actually have some legitimacy in terms of an argument against if, if you do want to defend yourself as a company, but like running him down in that way, it's so ugly mm-hmm. and it's so petty and it's so, it's so mind, and I have no idea if John Cena ever sort of recanted that or talked about that at yeah, all. I have no idea, no um, idea. So I don't know. It's it's one of those things that is very heartbreaking to watch. And then, um, 
James Mitchell, uh, the sinister minister, uh, is, you know, the anchor of the episode because he seemed mm-hmm. to be closest to Canyon in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he was one of the first people or the first person that Canyon came out to. And uh, and and even that was due to a necessity because uh, he, he was he, somebody discovered while moving uh, a bunch of gay pornography that he had stashed in a box that came spilling out everywhere. And he had to say, hey, you know, I need you to cover for me. And so, you know, you hear about their relationship and uh, and it's 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 just chock full of just Canyon seemingly in just a dark place a lot, you know, and, you know, uh, several physical confrontations between him and, and James Mitchell mm-hmm. to the point where Mitchell got a gun and mm-hmm. pointed at him and was re- ready to, you know, use it and actually done some research on, uh, you know, on the law and, and, and self-defense um Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So it it is. It's that kind of anguish is is difficult to hear about in a person's life, and you just have to appreciate that. Nowadays, there's a lot more. Seemingly, we're not in the locker room, but seemingly there is a lot more acceptance um, in locker rooms. Uh, it's a different era completely. There does seem to be a growing emphasis on uh, mental health, yes, and how to get help. Uh, if you're suffering from issues related to that. Uh, so it, it is, unfortunately, it seems like Canyon was a guy who was didn't get the help he needed desperately and seemingly was like born ahead of his time by mm-hmm. like a decade or two mm-hmm. because of, you know, how innovative that guy really was in the ring and what he yeah. could be doing if he was in his prime today is an yeah. interesting question. Yeah, I mean, if, if he were alive today, he would be 51 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In theory, he could still be wrestling, you know. Mm, yeah, he could still be innovating and 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 influencing the current generation of wrestlers. It's interesting. I didn't know about uh, him kind of mentoring uh, the young bucks, Brian Cage. Um, the you know the Brian Cage tells a story of how he's doing some show, probably I think somewhere up here in Northern California, mm-hmm. and they have footage of it. And you know, it's it's probably Brian Cage when he's twenty twenty one years old. Yeah. Um, you know, and and and. Canyon's like, hey, you're gonna get the win tonight. And Brian Cage's like, no, 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 you're Canyon. I'm not gonna do that. And, and mm-hmm. Kenny's like, nope, you're gonna get the win tonight. You put Brian Cage over, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's good to know that, you know, while he didn't necessarily get the accolades that he deserved, um, the, you know, when he was alive, it's good to see that, you know, you have the young bucks, Brian Cage speaking so highly of him now. Um, yeah. You know, making sure that people recognize what an influential wrestler he was you know, on them seemingly personally and also the industry at large. And I mean, it's, it's one of the things about, you know, dark side of the ring and this season, they really seem to be hitting a great stride with bringing up stuff that people might have one perception about and, and bringing a whole new light to it, um, which is a very interesting function uh, for, for this particular series. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that. 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, let's dive into uh, FMW, an episode that you and I were both very much looking forward yes. to. Um, yes, point either. No, it didn't. I, this was a fascinating episode. Uh, I was surprised at, at I had. So I didn't know a lot about the particulars of Onita leaving FMW mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. happened after that and then his return and then his, you know, him being kicked out again. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. stuff was, I think, maybe stuff I had sort of glossed over before. But, you know, they interview a lot of the, you know, the. Obviously, they interview Anita himself. Yeah, extensively. Uh, yeah, the family of the president who took over after him, family mm-hmm. of Hayabusa, um, and so there was a lot of the particulars I didn't know. But I was actually kind of shocked at how much I kind of did know about FMW. Um, I mean, just it's been such a subject of curiosity for me, but not to the point where I've ever done like a really deep dive. But like we, you and I have seen over the last couple of years, because they're all on YouTube, um, a lot of the matches that they referred to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the silly death matches they had. We kind of knew the story already of like the flaming match with the, you know, the ropes and yeah. and, and how the sheet got hurt. Uh, I mean, they showed the they showed the the sickle match that we had done a video on in the past. Yeah, right. Yeah, they showed bits from that. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and there's some other like we we've seen some clips of the the exploding uh, ring match against Hayabusa. Yeah. Um. You know, and I've seen bits of the Terry Funk one. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, bits and pieces I've seen. And I'm like you, like I like the overarching kind of story of FMW. You know, the creation. You know how it eventually kind of uh, after Hayabusa's horrible injury. Um. You know, they kind of uh, had to close up, came back for a spell, um, and now Onita is is relaunching kind of a new version of FMW called FMWE. Mm-hmm. They've had a handful of shows, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting story. Like I didn't know, like I knew that Onita was, was, was part of the, uh, you know, like uh, the all Japan system. I knew, I knew he came to the States. It was fascinating to hear uh, his experience wrestling in Tennessee, specifically yeah. the concession stand brawl. Yeah. Something yeah. I had not, I was not familiar Same. with, and how that yeah. was kind of a, a pivotal moment in his career. Yeah, he gets booted in the face by a woman wearing uh, high heels, and yeah, and you know, his blood coming. He's got like a, a cut on his face. There's blood coming out of his nose, and he's like, "Okay, people have like a real visceral reaction to this kind of hardcore style of wrestling." Yeah, and um, 
so he that stayed with him. And so he goes back to Japan and he's seemingly having a, a, a hell of a career for himself and a freak thing. He like steps off the ring apron mm-hmm. and tears up his knee. Yeah, his kneecap, his like kneecap explodes, was shattered. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, the, the, the one, one of the, my main takeaways from Onita, well, there's two, number one, he's an arrogant bastard, <laughs> but number two, it was kind of disheartening to hear his thoughts on the guy, the, the president who ended up dying. Um, but number two, hell of a promoter, all yes. the little bits of wisdom that he picked up along the way, the, the realizations he made on the path to bringing FMW to prominence are all very fascinating things you know when he talked about because you know that the background was it wasn't just death matches they'd have some of the best women's wrestling they'd have some of the straight up just best wrestling but then also was headlined by the death match stuff and he was saying you know you got to give somebody you got to give your audience a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. to make the more dramatic stuff stand out more and there were all these little tiny bits of wisdom that i as you and i as content creators love to hear because you can mm-hmm. take from that and say, okay, well, let me look at my own business. How do we apply it to that? And, mm-hmm. uh, and I love hearing that stuff because as a promoter, he was rock solid. Like he yeah. really was to come from where he came from. He, he was a rising star who wanted to have a high flying career. Um, and like you said, fluke freak accident, his kneecap basically explodes in him, And, uh, and he has to come back and he does so from a promoter's perspective he says hey i'm not going to be able to do that kind of stuff which is celebrated in these two promotions let me bring my own to the table and and through his experience with terry funk and wrestling in tennessee the uh the concession stand brawl like you said and getting kicked in the mouth he said people really get there's something that really ignites within people when they see blood and now let me take that experience and let me craft an entire promotion out of that concept, which is absolutely amazing. And so he's got Frontier Martial Arts. And yep. uh, and and the, the great thing is they talk about it starts off with one, like a barbed wire match. And then you have to add some explosions. And then he just had to keep on raising the bar you and put the ring in a swimming pool. And, yeah. And right. Explosions the around the, the perimeter of the water. All this, all this and, stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if if this was chronological or if it was done for dramatic license but i wonder if because they seem to sort of indicate that the pinnacle of that was the match where the where the ring burned down and and i don't know if that was sort of the climactic match where they had to start dialing things back or not because they could they they did a couple matches where the fire got out of control we've seen them yeah and there's like the one i think it's outside there's like a coffin there's like a coffin inferno match yeah yeah, we watched um, that one. All sorts of nut stuff, but the idea is is sound. The idea is the premise is sound that he had to keep on bringing shit to another level, another level, and yeah. he would always yeah. be thinking. You know, he he basically bleed out to death, as Sabu says, and be in the ambulance or whatever. And he's like just thinking to himself, "Okay, what can I do to top what we mm-hmm. just did?" Mm-hmm. Which was mm-hmm. again, the, you know, the mind of a promoter. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I remember when we talked to Evan before the season started. And he mentioned how cinematic FMW was. And he's right in terms of the presentation because they knew where to put those cameras and they knew where to cut to like during the huge explosion spots, you know? Mm -hmm, Um, And and it was interesting seeing his match, Bonita's match against Hayabusa, the cage match that was supposed to be his retirement bout. Mm -hmm. And like the, the, the explosion goes off 
but there's more match to happen. So they're <laughs> they're they're finishing the match with like ash all yeah. over them, all over the rings. Yeah. They do a, a bump and you see all this dust fly in the air. And it's probably awful to wrestle in, but as a visual, it's interesting. Yeah, for it's sure. very interesting. Yeah. But not only that, they talk about the uh, his match against Terry Funk, the uh, exploding match uh, uh, ring match against Terry Funk, mm-hmm. where Onita gets the win, you know, with time running out and he's leaving the ring and he realizes that's Terry Funk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's out there in the ring. I, he goes, he slaps him around, tries to wake him up. Funk's not waking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he covers him up while the ring explodes. Like, narratively, that's really good stuff. Oh, it's brilliant stuff. Yeah. It's great. That's really good stuff. Yeah, so like, in terms yeah. of the storytelling, in terms of the visual presentation, they were doing some really, really interesting stuff yeah. in FMW. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because, you know, they talk about they talk about it almost mockingly, but I love the stuff when Onita's crying all the time. That's really, you know, after his retirement match, when he's like, Hayabusa, never let me come back and do a ring again. He's mm-hmm. like, okay. I love that stuff. And uh, and I, it, it also featured prominently in FMW. I have gone back and I've watched some of, uh, what is it, Brett FMW's top yeah. 100 uh, FMW yeah. matches list. I've watched some of those. And the number one, I think, is a woman's match. It's Manami Toyota. I forget who against. But, uh, but there's crying in that setup as well really emphasizing the drama, which is the thing that you and I are so attracted to. You can tell Mm -hmm. some really compelling, dramatic stories using the entire spectrum of human emotion in a wrestling ring, using matches, using moves, using story sequences. And, and that was something that he really had a mind for Mm -hmm. and how to incorporate that. You bring people in with the spectacle of the death match, but then you're telling these grand stories that's really cool stuff. That's really exciting stuff. Yes, um, and uh, this episode is very clear to show uh, you know the the scars, the injuries, yeah, uh, that were inflicted uh, uh, upon people being in these matches. There was a women's match where where one of the women got pretty badly burned. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, that that infamous fire uh, match with basically the entire ring is engulfed in flames. They mm-hmm. said the sheik, uh, Odita said yeah. the sheik was burned over like sixty percent of his body. Eesh, yeah. Um, he was all you old know, at the time too. That was so sad. I know he was like, yeah, he he was old. <laughs> like everybody um, just got out of there, and the old man was just there, like, oh shit. I know. Um, and and like Mick Foley spoke about, like you know, the expectation was probably going to get hurt when you're, when you're one of these type matches, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, so fast forward a little bit, Onita decides he's going to uh, try making movies. So he steps away. <laughs> he made one. He made one. a movie. <laughs> um, so he stepped away, and he had his retirement match against Hayabusa, who they were building up to be their next top star. Yeah. And and you know he was a really innovative high flyer. He, his his presentation was outstanding. Was there? Did you detect some amount of? It, it's funny because there's always going to be a bit of a language barrier, even when there's a translation in terms of understanding the full scope of meaning when there's a language so different from English. Um, When he mentioned Hayabusa, he said something along the lines of, I'm sorry to say this, but I didn't see him as being, was he specifically referring to Hayabusa taking the reins in the death match Field. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah. I interpreted that as well. However, there was never any uh, a qualifier that, although he wasn't prepared for deathmatch stuff, he was pre- he was good enough 
to carry the company as a big name. You can mm -hmm. sort of infer that from the fact that that's what the championship or that's what the retirement match, that's who his opponent was. Yeah. But he didn't say, unless I, unless I kind of missed it, which is possible, do you recall Onita saying much about Hayabusa after that? Because I kind of don't. Not really, no. Yeah. No. Um, no, he mentioned that he didn't think Hayabusa was necessarily cut out for the deathmatch stuff, more or less. Yeah. yeah. Although you look at you look at Hayabusa, you know, uh, shortly before you know his horrible injury, he's got the scars of, of someone who went through plenty of deathmatches. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's interesting in, in Onita's retirement match. Typically, you you would assume, you know, hey, you're leaving the company. You want to uh, pass the torch on to the new guy. <laughs> Yeah, you go out on your back. Yeah, not Odita. <laughs> yeah, he power bombed Hayabusa, got that win. Yeah, and while he's screaming at Hayabusa not to let him come back, there's one man standing, and that's Odita. Yeah, Hayabusa's laid out. You know, during that whole sequence. It's funny because I did see a little bit of chatter, and again, you know, you and I have 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 done some amount of research on FMW through the years, little bits here and there, watching some matches. Mm -hmm. But one thing I got from the chatter on Twitter prior to all this. Is that Onita? I think did have the reputation. This might be an understatement. Have the 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 reputation of being a bit arrogant, of claiming that he came up with all these different ideas. I mean, I think somebody on Twitter and I, I forget honestly who. Otherwise, I'd reference him. Said, "I can't wait for this dark side to hear Onita basically claim, uh, take credit for basically every aspect of hardcore wrestling." Which, in a way, he kind of does in this episode. Pretty much at the end, he does. He he basically compares himself to Hulk Hogan and and, and Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. Yeah, and Antonio Inoki. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and I I do I wonder if you know there's probably a lot we don't see. There obviously is a lot we don't see in the filmmaking aspect of the Dark Side, right? And so when we're lucky enough to get Jason and Evan on, they can fill in some gaps for us, but. When he one of the lasting images is him being so flippant about so basically Onita leaves and the, the presidency of the company is handed over to the ring announcer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have some disparaging comments about him in terms of how he ran FMW after that point. Um, he puts this dude in charge of creative where I was shocked at the urination scene when there's yes. like a circle of dudes like they they went from deathmatch wrestling to just goofiness in in some of their bigger presentations. Yes. And so there's like a circle of dudes peeing on a guy. There's like firecrackers in butts. Um, mm -hmm. There's like some weird dancing going on. Yeah. And so not a lot of kind words are had for the guy who took over after Onita left. Well, that guy ended up, um, you know, the company ended up not doing so great. And uh, the Yakuza... Uh, the under uh, organized crime uh, syndicate in uh, in Japan um, ran a lot of the arenas out there, according to Terry mm -hmm. Funk. Mm -hmm. And so because FMW evidently had loans out, they couldn't repay them uh, to the to 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 the underground element. And this guy ended up uh, uh, killing himself. He ended up hanging himself. Onita has not one word of sympathy for that guy. He basically says, no, he, it had nothing to do with organized crime. He didn't like that his, his wife left him, and he couldn't hack it, so he killed himself. If you have debts, you just pay him back. Well, we know that that's not the cut-and-dry case when yeah. people get in with organized crime or even just in over their head in life. I mean, there was that kid recently, unfortunately, 
who uh, was on Robinhood, the 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 trading app, and uh, it was during the GameStop stuff. And mm. there's a reporting function within the app that, uh, for a period of like 12 hours or so, makes it look like you're you're liable for much more than you are. So like his stocks went down, and it said all of a sudden that he owed three hundred thousand dollars, and that wasn't the case. He was actually up by quite a bit. But and he's like a twenty-year-old kid, and I know I'm, I might be getting some of the details here wrong. And he ended up killing himself. Oof. And he didn't. Oh, and because he thought his parents were going to find out. And so that's just one example of like it's totally normal for people to freak out over money. It's a big deal. Yep. Onita. So Onita says, "Yeah, no, that had nothing to do with that." And and just in the most flip, no sympathy, no sympathetic way possible. And then he puts a cigarette in his mouth and he lights it. <laughs> and it's like visually you don't need to hear the man say anymore to understand that he's kind of an arrogant prick, you know, because that's just the most that visual um, might've been enough for the filmmakers to illustrate to us. This is Itsushi Onita, you know, I mean, this is implied several times by Terry Funk that he kind of stiffed people on pay too. Yeah. 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 Um, well, he said it like at his peak, he was making $2 million a year, two million a year, had seven cars, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Five cars in a in a four bedroom house, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah, again, you know, people are complex, um, and and we, we say that a lot here on the show. Yeah, uh, but it uh, yeah no, it was it was fascinating. It's great to see Terry. It's good, you know all all the Terry Funk stories. I'll I'll take in a heartbeat. Oh heck yeah, uh, um, he's just a great wonderful storyteller. I love how he introduces himself. Um, but yeah, no, it was you know him, uh, Chris Jericho, McFoley. All really great voices uh, for this, and then I I, I'm, I forget some of the FMW original names, um, but uh, but yeah, no, some really really great stories in this one. Yeah, yeah, and then next week it's Johnny K Nine, a story that I am not I at all know familiar with. Nothing about this whatsoever. So, and I'm not going to endeavor to research at all before the episode. I want to go into it fresh. Like I I didn't know anything about the UWF, the Herb Abrams stuff. Like yeah, a I little like I think I had heard the name before. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, so we'll be back next week, uh, with that. And, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. We appreciate it till next time. We'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done. Well, I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.